0: And the church said? Amen. Amen. And the preacher said to the new song director, I need that little stand right there. God is good. And all the time? Thanks, brother. Awesome. You guys look good today. I know we have a lot of people that are on vacation, a lot of camps going on. It's going to be like this for about six weeks or so. And so if you haven't gone already and you're excited about going hang on and be here when you can and when you're gone have a good time and enjoy yourself and come back and be safe and and just have a wonderful time in the lord you know last year in our vacation bible school and this was last year it was make uh it was called maker fun factory if you remember that this was me last year and um we were just kind of goofing off and all those things well this year this year we did uh, the this this place was really really jumping this past week. This year's uh, theme was shipwrecked. Now when you get shipwrecked, you land on an island. So this is what I looked like last year. This is what I looked like a year after being on a deserted island. <laughs> but, but that's really not me, okay? It's amazing what a shave and a haircut can do, right? uh that, that's Mitchell Rogers and Mitchell is just great about putting I just love this I just had to have this picture but so we talked to our kids about being rescued by Jesus and I'm really glad he's rescued me from that uh desert island there or whatever the case was and it got me back to civilization so just wanted to kind of put a kudos in there and and uh thank everyone just from my heart to everyone that helped this week I mean it was just amazing and thank you so much more to be said about that later on All right, Uh, spiritual growth through the dealing with uh, criticism. It's a word that somebody gave me um, as we started this series at the beginning of the year. It's a word that someone said, I really want you to deal or talk about this particular one because I'm really dealing with it. I don't know if that person's still dealing with that now or not, but uh, we're going to talk about it nonetheless. Uh, A post office worker at a main sorting office, having worked at the post office, he saw this letter that came through the, the sorting machines. And uh, it was unstamped, of course, and it was poorly handwritten, envelope, and it was addressed to God. Now, if you work for the post office, you know that goes to a particular department and they have to open it up to make sure, see if they can find an address. And sure enough, he did that and he looked in there and, and sure enough, it was uh, uh, address, had had an address on that. It was from an elderly lady that was very distressed. And it was around Christmas time and she had actually wrote and simply said to God that she had lost or someone had stolen her life savings of $200 and it was going to be a bleak Christmas this year. So the uh, uh, postal guy, he was a good guy, We're not all, we are not all—we don't all go postal, but uh, nonetheless he was a good guy and he, he, he talked it up around the guys and they raised $180 to send to this lady put it in an envelope, he didn't say who it was from, sent it, that, sent it to her that very day from a courier, and she received it. Well, about a week later, uh, the same postal worker recognized the handwriting again, and it was just addressed to God. So he does his due diligence, and he opens it up once more, and the letter simply read this, Dear God, thank you for the $180 for Christmas, which would have been bleak otherwise. P.S., It was $20 short, but that was probably those thieving workers at the post office. (laughs) All right, now that I got your attention. If you are a Christian, you can expect folks to criticize you. There is no doubt it's going to happen. The key is, is getting them not to believe that lie about you. To live our lives in such a way and grow our our lives spiritually in such a way that when we are criticized, it's not really the truth, and people will see through that in our lives. So I want to really talk to you about that today. Frank Clark said it well when he said this, "Criticism, criticism, like rain, should be gentle enough to nourish a man's growth without destroying his roots. I really like that one. So I just started off with a, a couple of, qu- or a question here, and I'll go ahead and put that up if you would please. And it says, how do you usually react when you somehow, someone criticizes you? One of three ways. I usually get angry and strike back. We're gonna talk about that. I usually get hurt and back off or quit. Or nobody ever criticizes me. I'm perfect, right? And so sometimes we work through those things, but we're going to work through that to get together today as a church family and see how that works. Now, I believe that more than likely all of us have criticized someone. Anybody in here never criticized anyone. So that means we're all on the same level. Anybody in here been criticized, raise your hand. Anybody like being criticized, raise your hand. Okay, nobody likes it. So we got, we're got we on a good topic then. Now... Some of it, uh, sometimes, uh, even myself, I find myself at the top of the list of criticizing. Donna will say, "Hey, hey, hey," and I know what that means. I'm being more like the Bob, my middle name, rather than the Harley that, well, Lloyd that that they gave me. And so I have to kind of reel that in, if you will, and bring that back into play. Now they tell us that there is such a thing as called uh, this uh, called constructive criticism. And there probably is in that regard, but in most cases it's not. Criticism isn't given for that reason. It's meant to hurt, or it's meant to be, or it serves no really positive purpose. Oftentimes that's the case, and people are harmed by it, very much so. Criticism is a way of life, so as Christians we need to understand that it's going to come our way doesn't mean we accept it. You do something when you get that criticism. You evaluate it. You find out whether it's true. If it's true, you need to make, need to make the adjustments. If it's not true, you need to brush it off and you need to move on and get on with your life. But, but, so we're going to talk about different things there. I was going to talk to you about this paragraph I wrote in here about Metamorphosis. And it was interesting because I had written that in earlier in the week. And then just last night, Don and I were about 10 o'clock flipping through the channels and saw something on that specifically about metamorphosis and how it happens and all the different kind of caterpillars and all the different kind of uh, butterflies that they actually uh, make and do all of those things. And it was really, really a a nice show to watch. The one that caught my eye there was the one about the the monarch butterfly. You know, it's amazing, the 300 million of them, they say, each year. But in this, the the little slimy-looking caterpillar is very ugly, It doesn't move very fast, and, and it goes through this metamorphosis, and we've all seen that in our classes of school or whatever, and you've seen all that take place in our lives. Well, in all of that, it's amazing how God moves that, and even the person who was doing this was amazed by it, and the studies that have been done by it, and the people that are amazed at how, how something can actually be transformed that much. Something lives, something dies, but what dies, something comes out of that alive and absolutely beautiful. It's amazing, because in this, the reason why this metamorphosis takes place, it is the Something that's inside changing to get to the outside. And that's exactly and precisely what God does with us. He takes us this, these little not-so-great-looking creatures, if you will. We might look good on the outside, but we're, we're these full of this sin, this ugliness of life. And yet God moves us along and He does this transformation, He calls it in Scripture, and it changes us into something that God wants us to be. It's amazing that a, uh, a monarch that can be born in Canada, and there's 300 million of these. I don't know who counted them, but somebody must have. And so there's 300 million of them in Canada Michigan, where I grew up, and all of these areas in the north. They have this sense about them to be able to fly 3,000 miles to Mexico each year in that process. And when we were listening to that, I couldn't help but think, who in the world doesn't believe there's a God in that process for us? I like what Tony Evans had to say on this matter of, uh, of this caterpillar once. He said, A saint may feel like a caterpillar or even think they look like a caterpillar at times, but the idea is to work out their salvation in the midst of adversity because God is at work within them to do His good pleasure. And that's exactly what Philippians chapter 2 tells us. He tells us right there, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose in life. God is working things through us to get us to be and be able to be beautiful for the world to see more of who he is. And all that beauty that can come out in that. But through this adversities that we go through, and today, just the talking about criticism, through that, it's necessary. Because you, you know, during the metamorphosis stage, you can't help that butterfly out. If you try to help it out of its cocoon, it can't fly. Because in its working, in its working to struggle to get out of that cocoon is what strengthens its wings and causes it to be able to stretch in the right manner to build its strength to be able to fly. And so in our adversities of life, the struggles that we might go through or the criticisms that we might receive in our life, we can take them to strengthen us or to feed us. And in that process, we have to be very careful. To grow us spiritually is what we're shooting for. Many Christians die spiritually because of criticism. Many do. Be determined in your life not to let other people's criticism about who you are keep you from growing in the Lord. Give me an amen. Once again, it kind of goes back to the beginning of this series, if you will. It goes back to this is why it's so important for us to keep the Word of God in us, to reign in us, so that when criticism comes our way and these adversities come our way, we can pull upon the Word of God that will help us through those times. It's the thing that helps us get to where God wants us to be. That's why it's important for us to be those that God has called us to be. Paul's response to criticism in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I find this one pretty amazing. Now there's many times that Paul was criticized, but in this one he addresses it back to the church. He wrote many uh, letters to churches to try to explain to them different things. And in this one here, he really talks more about him. But notice how he starts it off. By the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Listen, first of all, before you respond to someone's criticism, always think about Christ. Notice what he says. It's Christ's meekness and his gentleness. I'm going to tell you something. You see how he brings it back into play? It's very important. He said, I uh, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid, went face to face with you, but bold went away. Notice the exclamation point. For some say, this is an address, For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but Paul either had to overhear those words or someone wrote him a nice little juicy letter and sliced and diced him. You ever overhear somebody criticizing you? You ever get that in your life? Well, Paul could have responded in a lot of ways, but of course he responded with the love of Christ in this. But notice what he says, some say. Who is the some? Usually the some that say or criticize, you don't even know who they are. You don't know where it begins. You might think you do, but a lot of times they're trying to track you. They're secret service, man. They want to keep it under wraps. I want to criticize, get it to the right person, and then it just blows around and blows around till it lands back to you, and then bingo, it hits its mark. That's the way it works, isn't it? This means yes today. Okay, very good. Just want to make sure you're here. As a preacher, I have gotten my fair share over the years. I will tell you that. There have been times where I have been hit hard with criticism. Now, sometimes it's due criticism, and I don't like it either. But in many cases, it's been undue. And man, when it comes in, man, it comes in like, I mean, it it hurts. And it hurts deep. And I'm sure that you've been that way. I know three ministers personally, three ministers that have dropped out of ministry because of being criticized. Good men, by the way, being criticized by how things were handled or something was done. And they just quit. Listen, that is precisely what the enemy wants in your life. He wants somebody, he didn't care, he didn't care how it happens. He wants, in John 10, 10, he wants one thing. He wants to steal from you, he wants to kill you. He wants to destroy your walk with Jesus Christ. But listen to what my mom always told me when I was growing up. She said, she taught me, was whatever you do, son, in life, know the truth and stand on it. She always taught me that. She said, no matter what, you know the truth and you stand on the truth. No matter what anybody else says. Now, in this particular verse, I'm standing on the truth that God is for me and Satan is against me. That's the truth. And I am his and I can have a full life if I stand on that truth because God is for me. Who can be against me? Give me an amen. All right. When people criticize us, the first response after being hurt is normally a thing called anger. And then after, now that some for some it takes a while for it to sink in. It takes a long time. Some it doesn't take very long. That short fuse. Boom. It's here. And so you get right to anger. And then when you get to anger, you normally want to do something else. It's called the thing called what? It is called a, a retaliation. We want to retaliate. You slice me, I'm going to slice you right back. Been there? Anybody fall in that category besides me? I'm talking to the saints today, so everybody's good, right? All right. But I would say it like this, don't retaliate. Now, that's easy for a preacher to stand up on a Sunday morning and say, don't retaliate when someone criticizes you. It's real easy, isn't it? This is the hard part for the Christian. But it is one of the keys of growing spiritually. Because this is how the world sees that we're different. And the world is to see us different. If we respond only like the world, then we are just like the world and we're not like Christ. And we're called to be more like Christ. Give me an amen. All right. When you retaliate, it puts you on their level. You've heard that. It puts you only on their level. And it does. Retaliation will not grow you spiritually. It will stop the progress. It's the metamorphosis. You're trying to interrupt it. What God is going to try to help you through, you're trying to speed it along. And the way I'm going to handle this, God, is I'm going to take these people out. If anyone could have retaliated, it could have been Paul. But he kept his cool, he kept his focus, and he kept his drive. Not in what people were saying, but what on God had promised. In other words, what's his destiny? Because Paul was the one who said this, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In other words, my focus is clear. When... Years and years ago, probably when we uh, first were married, first few years, Donna gave me a verse out of Scripture from First Samuel chapter sixteen, verse number seven, and we still have it posted at the house. And you know, this is the time when Samuel was called to go to Jesse's house to anoint David as the new king. Saul was ousted because of his disobedience, but he's still king hanging around. He's not going to give it up easily. But Samuel goes to Jesse's house. And while he's at Jesse's house, he's supposed to pick a king. He doesn't know which one it is. He's supposed to pick a king from one of his boys. And he has a bunch of boys. As soon as he gets there, Samuel says, it's him. Nope, it's him. Nope, it's him. Nope. And so through that whole process, he's just thinking that. And that's what happens in our lives sometimes. But let me make this point. It says, do not consider his appearance or his height. That's what the Lord told Samuel. I say that because this is exactly what we do as humans. We always look at things. We look at their appearance. Or we look at their stature. We look at something of this person. Because we're outward people. We're looking outward. And boy, he is handsome. Man, look at at her. She's absolutely beautiful. And that might be the case. But here the Lord says, "Don't, don't consider that. For I have rejected him. That's one of Jesse's voice, But the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, people may criticize you, for, for, and they will. They'll criticize you for anything and everything, won't they? They'll criticize you for being too tall, too short. They'll criticize you for being too smart. They'll criticize you for being ugly or too good-looking. They'll criticize you for something. They'll even... Cr- They'll even even criticize you for breathing their air. Think about that. I say retaliation is not worth it, and yet I realize it. it is one of the hardest things to control in our lives. It's as though it's within us to retaliate when someone causes us that kind of pain in our lives. It criticizes. It's kind of like turning the other cheek. When I was studying this this week, I went to Matthew and I looked at this one and I thought, you know, Jesus, this this is how I, I just say this. Jesus, you could have left verse 39 out and I'd have been okay with that. Does this make sense to the human? But now I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, by the way. This is Red Letter Edition. Do not take revenge on someone who wrongs you. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, let him slap you on the left cheek too. What? What? Now, I've been in a lot of scuffles, especially when I was in grade school. I had to kind of fight my way through school or thought I did anyway because I was short and everybody would make fun of me. And they criticized me. I just beat them up. There's not one time when uh, Steve Miller would hit me upside the head that I said, oh, just a minute, hit this side. Anybody out there? That doesn't make sense, does it? Sure, no, it did not make any sense at all. Um. So he could have just left that one out. It kind of reminds me of the old, uh, uh, the old story of the heavyweight ex-boxer, champion, by the, by the way, in his day. When, when he retired, he became this gospel preacher. And one day, he was in this particular community, and he was walking the streets there, and these two thugs jumped out to um, rob him, to hurt him. And the one walked up to him and just smacked him, and, I mean, hit him inside the face as hard as he could. The old ex-boxer preacher now just kind of turned, looked at the other guy. The other guy just hit him with everything he had. I mean, he just just nailed him upside the head. Didn't even faze him. The old boxer preacher takes off his jacket, lays it off to the side. And he said, the Lord has given me no more instructions and no more commands. And he walloped the both of them. That's me! (laughs) I wasn't an Xboxer boxer and I wasn't certainly a champion, but that's me! If you don't believe that, just get two-year-olds in a room. One steals a toy, what happens? It doesn't matter, girl or boy. I'll hit you with a Barbie or a tank. It works, doesn't it? That's what we do. When we get cut, we want to cut back. Remember this above all things. When Jesus hung on the cross, when Jesus hung on the cross, he had every right to cut back. Scripture tells us he could have called 10,000 angels, and that was just the beginning. But he didn't. They embarrassed him in front of his mother, naked, for all these people. They beat him beyond recognition. His mother couldn't even recognize him, scripture says. And he had the power to lash back. His example for us was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. It's amazing, mister. In 1 Peter chapter 3, here's another verse God could have left out. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Now, I could get that part, that first sentence. I could say that, okay, I can handle that. But then he takes it up a notch. That's what God does. The whole New Testament is taking it up a notch. The Old Testament's all about do this, do this, do this, do this. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Check, 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 check. Good to go. In the New Testament, (laughs) you're not going to make it on your own. Notice what he does. He says here, On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. What? Be, but he tells you why. He tells you why. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. We miss it. We don't like to do that, but God says, if you'll do what I say, listen to me, anytime God says, do something, if you do it, there's always at the end of it, a blessing. Always, every time. Who in this room likes God's blessings? Raise your hand. Who in this room has gotten all of God's blessings for your life? Who would like to get more of God's blessings in your life? Then do what God says. It just doesn't make sense, and you just don't understand. This is what that happened to me, and I just don't want to. And I'm just up to here, and I'm fed up, and I don't care. That's church, and this is the world, and I don't care. You're gonna, we're gonna do. I'm gonna do it my way. Remember this: when you retaliate, you run the risk of losing the blessing that God may be trying to get to you. If Jesus would have retaliated on the cross we would have never received the blessing of salvation. It's the prime example for us. I don't know about you, but I've missed my fair share of God's blessings because I didn't do what God called me to do when someone hurt me or criticized me. And so this is one reason why to have good friends. Because if you have good friends around you, when somebody does that, they pull you back. I can't tell you the times that maybe a Chad or a Mike has pulled me back. Or maybe one of the elders said, whoa, whoa hold your horses. When I wanted to leap in. And sometimes I got way out in front. Then I had to apologize. Then I had to repent. Then I had to you know, ask for forgiveness in that process but we are human and we've worked through that and we've done that and that's the way it works. So it's good to have good people connected to you because they'll pull you back. They'll hold you. in check. You check each other. It's a check and balance thing. Again, it's impossible to please everyone. No matter what you do, someone will undoubtedly find something that they don't like about you. My mother used to tell me, she would say, son, Listen to this. I want you to hear this because it's important. And I always tell you what my mom said. My dad taught me a lot of things too. Of course, my dad wasn't educated. But he was really a wise man in the, of the world because he, he had to he learn things and he had to memorize certain things because he couldn't read. My mother could read very well. So my mother was more on the spiritual aspect of things in the regard of understanding the Word of God. And she would impart that to us kids. My dad was more about nature and things and teaching us that there was a god how that works i'm thankful for both they complemented each other well my, my, my mother would tell me she said <laughs> this is this is amazing she said you may never be the smartest boy in the world and i looked at her and huh that makes sense to me i can deal with that one mom she said, You may never be the tallest boy in the world. I'm like, hmm. Okay, I can probably deal with that one. And then she said, you may not be the best looking boy in the world. And I'm thought, I'm thinking now I got a complex. I'm dumb, short, and ugly. What do you do with dumb, short, and ugly? You're in trouble, aren't you? That's me, you're looking at him. Trouble. Then she said, but never, ever, 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 ever forget that you are my boy and I wouldn't change one thing about you. I changed everything for me. Everything. Listen, we are the children of the Most High God and we are His children. Children. Red, yellow, black, and white, we are precious in His sight. Amen? Hallelujah. That that ought to bring some real big joy right there, I'm telling you. Keep in mind, as I get ready to close out here, that your goal is not to please people. Because ultimately it is God that you are working for. Oh, please keep this one in mind. If you go to work, if, you, if you're in a situation, if you're in these things, listen to what God is trying to get to you in this scripture. Whatever you do, not some of the things you do, not just the play time, not just the church time, not just the work time, but all the time. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as you were working for the Lord and not for men. Let me ask you a question. When you go to work, whatever your work might be, when you go to work, if God if God came there and said, "Harley, I want you today to do this, this and this." If God said that, what would you do? You would gladly do it. Why? Because God entrusted you to do this, this and this. And I'm working for the Lord. I'm working for the Lord. That's why he says whatever you do, if it's the same sing for the Lord, if it's to pray, pray for the Lord. Whatever it happens to be in your life, work it as though you're working for God, not for men. Watch this. Once again, proves himself true. Since you know, not that you hope, not that it could be, that you know, you know that you know that you know that you know. Give me an amen. Amen. You know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward anyone that comes to God must believe in Him and believe that He rewards. Or you'd never come to Him. You come to the Lord because you believe in Him. But you become to Him because you want rewarded for believing in Him. And that's what happens in our lives when we give our life to Jesus. And He rewards us with what? Salvation. So He gives us the biggest reward that you could ever receive, first thing. See, we think we're working for heaven. Heaven is already ours. Now we're working for the Lord in his kingdom while we're here, however long it might be. I have no place, I mean, I have no idea where I'm at on this piece of paper. But God is good, I know that. If your goal is to please people, then you are always going to be vulnerable to criticism. Always looking over your shoulder. Never finding joy in serving the Lord. And and I wrote this down just before I came out. And I see this. It's a sad thing to see people that are serving the Lord with no joy. That's sad. I'm doing this because I guess I got half joy. What? Serve the Lord. Serving with joy in your heart. Not that I have to do this, but I get to do this. I get to do this. You know, the ship we had built up here and all this stuff and all that. These two little boys, McLaurie's like grandkids, they came in. This was after their, all those, and this stuff is still going on down there. There's, there's, all these games are playing on Friday night outside. Kids are having a blast. and it's All that's happening. Here comes these two kids. All that's going on. Two little kids. You know what they said? Can we help you? Sure, grab that, grab this. And they took handful after handful out and took it out to the, to the lobby there to help us out. And here I am up there in a bathroom. So I'm taking down these two masks and I'm thinking, oh, I'm up here doing all this work. And I'm... and then these two kids, hey, can we help? And I'm like, God hit me again. Did he ever do that to you? Put you right back into place. Because I'd almost lost the joy again. You can always tell if I have joy in my heart. Almost always. And anybody that knows me knows that's through one thing. And that is, anybody know? Yeah, I whistle. And sometimes I'll come in the office and, you know, you have one of those days and sometimes I'll come in and Janice will say, hey, we're missing your whistle. I don't think she really likes me to whistle, but I think it is that she misses that because she knows there's something in here. And it's a sad thing to see people that have no joy saying they're serving the Lord. Keep your joy. Listen, I don't close out without letting you know how much God thinks of you. How much does he think of you? He loves you. How much? He gave his son for you. Really? Yep, just for you. He is not criticizing you for anything. He is calling you to salvation through Jesus Christ, His one and only Son. God doesn't criticize you because of your sin. He died for you. That's awesome. And if you will accept His offer to become His child, child, you can live the rest of your life not free from criticism of people. No. But free in knowing that it's not people that you're trying to serve. It's God. God. Because you are his child. Galatians 3, 26-27. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. How do you become a child of God? Through faith. You got to believe. Somebody tells you, you just believe it. It's through faith. It's the only way. Faith. Watch. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So I simply ask, have you clothed yourself with Christ? If not, you stand on your own against the world around you that will do more than criticize you. But if you are clothed with him, you are an overcomer, according to 1 John chapter 5. I love this last one. In fact, this is love, the love for God. To keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. See, when you have joy in your heart, they're not burdensome. You you, you enjoy it. And watch what it says. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Now here's the faith thing. Watch it. Watch how it's trumped by God. Watch. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? He gives the answer. Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? You're an overcomer. He's not criticizing you. We've all failed. We need to repent. We need to confess. We need to become His children. We need to be clothed in baptism, He says. And in that process, then we can live our lives working for the Lord and His kingdom. Isn't that good news? Somebody today might be touched. Somebody might be moved by the Spirit of God. We pray that that's the case. If you have a prayer request, we'd love to take you through that prayer time. Maybe you have a praise. we would be glad to hear it today. Or maybe today you'd like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe today you would like to put him on in baptism. Whatever your need is, whatever your desire is, now is the time. But here's the deal. Anytime you're in a service and you don't feel as though, you know, I'm a little nervous, and a little, you know, I don't know if I have enough courage. You just come up to me after church. I'm always out there in the lobby. Come up to me and say, you know what? I've been thinking about this baptism thing. Call me. I've been thinking about this. Or this has really been on my heart, and I really want you to pray for me about it. I'd be glad to do that. Whatever. But this is a convenient time for you. So we're going to sing you a song. You come together as we stand and sing.